just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Seneca Scott's back with us. How you doing? What's up, fellas? I'm doing very, very good. Uh, happy to be here today with you. Awesome. I I think I know what we're talking about, and I've, I think I got a little story to uh, connect it, which is it's kind. Of, I don't know. I I think this will explain itself. So uh, this I don't know. So a lot of people in the audience, or I don't know if you guys will. Have you ever noticed that there's like a certain kind of guitar that normally uh, country music players play? It's okay if you don't. They're normally yellow with a black pit guard. Sure. Okay. I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think about guitar. You don't have, yeah. Right. You don't have to. Like, it's just like they, they usually play this. There's a certain type of guitar that's called a Fender Telecaster. And every, like, if you're a country player, you, you bet you need a Fender Telecaster. You have to. And why is that? Okay, so uh, the a lot of people, most people think that the guy who basically made it so you had to. So I don't know. Merrick has a family member that was a um, uh, studio musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and producer and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you know. So what are, what are you, oh, producer, not a musician. He was a session musician, and he also produced a couple albums for different people. But he was mainly a, a, a really good guitarist. Right. And so they have these people that they're that like, uh, so if even if I'm in a band and I'm really good and even if I have my own style and stuff and it's time for me to record an album, a lot of times they'll use these, this guy to play my part because, um, he'll just make it perfect on the album, you know, it's, and so, um, these, these people tend to be like very influential, like all the other guitar players want to be them even though they're not like in a band, they'll usually just play for other people. And this, and, uh, there's a guy named Reggie young, uh, that was part of the Memphis boys. A lot of people know, I think there's a movie about them. Have you heard of Memphis boys, Merrick? Oh, were they like the session yes. musicians from, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about them, but yeah, I've heard of them. So Reggie young is, is like, you could say he's, there's a couple other guys in the conversation, but one of the greatest country guitarists ever. And I know Scott, you're thinking, uh, what's these guys talking about country music? But just stick with me. Okay, and so Reggie Young played for Elvis, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, George Strait. The if you go if you go watch a Highwayman concert with with uh, with Willie and Johnny Cash and and, all, and uh, Chris Christopherson and Merle Haggard, you'll see Reggie Young there playing a Telecaster. Now, why would so this okay? So Re, everybody's got to play a Telecaster because they want to be Re, Reggie Young. Why did Reggie Young? Play a Telecaster. Well, Reggie Young was a session musician working in the studio, and there was there was a uh, there was a guitar player. And this at this time, like country guitar isn't really like everyone. Know, there's sort even if you you can't think of it right now, there are their country has the certain what play, way players play. They do things like chicken picking, this this certain kind of uh, style of country music. Well, oh yeah, my, my grandfather listened to it all the time. <laughs> and like Reggie Young was a, a session musician, and what what happened is all all the time producers will usually a session musician is told to 
imitate a certain player and all these great players have have different styles all the time reggie was being told by the producer uh give me give me some clarence i, I want some clarence on this track play some clarence clarence was clarence nelson clarence was uh great related to ricky no, Clarence, Clarence was black and he was a great, great guitarist. And a lot of the stuff that he did made its way into country music, especially through Reggie Young. Clarence, Clarence Nelson was the guitarist for a man named Ben Branch, who was a band leader. Uh, so if you went to a cool black club in Memphis, uh, you there's a good chance or or Chicago, uh, Ben Branch is in, is in the Music Hall of Fame. Um, Branch was in the horn section for BB King's stuff, all, like all on his records and stuff. Ike Turner, all that stuff. Ben Branch was one of the uh, big band leaders of the time. Ben Branch was the last, allegedly, the last man to see Martin Luther King Jr. alive. He was talking to him. Um, Dr. King had just asked asked Branch to play "Precious Lord, Take My Hand." Was was he was he at the hotel? Wow, in the hospital? No, he died in the hospital. As a as a musical director for SCLC's Operation Breadbasket, he led the Breadbasket Orchestra. This is talking about Ben Branch, Breadbasket Orchestra and Choir that performed benefits to Dr. Martin Luther King and Operation Push. Just moments before being assassinated, Dr. King had asked Branch to play a Negro spiritual "Precious Lord, Take My Hand." at a rally that was to have been held two hours later. King's exact words, which were also the last words he ever spoke, were, Ben, make sure you play Take My Hand, Precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. Play it real pretty. Yep, that is a historic fact. Absolutely. Wow. Fucking A. Well, you know, uh, there's a council in a hospital uh, to juxtapose that beautiful moment and get the party started, here's what King's final moments were like, purportedly. Um, and I say that because I wasn't there, but you know, this is this is the account. So, uh, and this is from Covert Action Magazine. J. Edgar Uber ordered the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It is the deepest dive that you could imagine. Um, Jagger Hoover, so, for people who don't know, was the, the founder. I don't, you wouldn't say founder because it's not wasn't like a company or whatever. But the original he was the czar of the FBI from the time it from from its conception until he died in the in the seventies under Nixon. There's a great story from Hardeman's. Uh, see, Hardeman was one of Nixon's assistants, one of the guys who went to jail with him. Actually, well, Nixon did good. One of the guys who went to jail for him. And he kept a, a big diary that he, he later published of like everything that happened in the White House. And it's really funny if you read it. If you read it, and they were all terrified of Hoover up until the moment that he died. At which point they were all like scrambling to find and destroy the massive troves of blackmail that he had on every single politician in the United States. Wow. He was the closest thing we ever had to a real like a uh, 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 secret police. No, not the closest thing. He fucking was. Yeah, the closest we ever had to like a, a, a head of the secret police who became politically powerful only because of that. Like, I mean, like we had President George H. W. Bush was the head of like one of the big shots at the CIA. So I mean, he was that too. But he was he also had political power outside of that through his family and 
later through electoral politics. J. Edgar Hoover was just a fucking a, a fucking villainous spy his entire life, and you know that that's that's why he has that unique place in history. Wow. So why well, did he try to ki- why did he, why was he trying to kill Martin Luther King? Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna answer that. Well, I was gonna talk about when he died in a hospital, his last known moments, and then I uh, let's hear it. And then I'll get into that. So uh, four decades later, this guy named Johnson Shelby came forward relating the uh, story that his mother told him, Lula May, who was a surgical aide at St. Joseph's Hospital, where King was taken after he was shot. And the morning after King's death, she gathered her family to talk about him. Uh, and as doctors were saving King, they were working to save him. So he didn't die on the scene. He, he was still alive. One of the orderlies, John Billing, following doctor's orders, left the room to, quote, find the men in charge, unquote. When he returned with them, the doctor said there was, it was nothing they could do to save him. And they told the rest of the staff to leave the room and not talk about what had occurred. According to Lula May, who was the last one to leave the room, King was still alive at that time. And here's the crazy fucking part. And again, this is what the lady said and her son said, not me. According to Lula, uh, the head of surgery, Dr. Breen Bland. Now, Dr. Breen Bland was a pioneer in drug and blood transfusion and polio vaccines. So, you know, you know about blood transfusion. And a couple men in suit told the doctors to, quote, stop working on that nigga and let him die, unquote. She also heard spitting sounds and turned around just in time to see doctors spitting on King, removing his ventilator tube while putting a pillow over his face to ensure that he died. Um, Rod Atkins, under oath, stated that he had been with his father, and after he died, his older brother, Russell Atkins Jr., when his father and brother discussed the plan with Dr. Bland and Frank Holloman, regarded the need to take King to St. Joseph if he had not been killed, particularly St. Joseph. Ron recalled Dr. Bland was prepared to give King a certain lethal injection if it became necessary. Now, this all came out in that court case we're going to get to, but, like, if that shit is true, like, yo, but anyway, here's why, here's why Hoover had him killed. He had everybody fucking whack. Think about it, right? If you look at the 60s, a uh, tsunami of blood flowed through that decade, largely courtesy of J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. Things got kicked off with Megan Evans shot dead in his driveway in Jackson. Uh, I think it was June 63. J- JFK was clapped in a car in Dallas the same November. That did it with Malcolm, who bought the farm in that ballroom in Harlem in 65. Malcolm was whack fighting for the workers in Memphis in 68. What happened to, what happened to RFK? Y'all remember what happened to him? Yeah, he was shot in a hotel by an angry Palestinian fellow. Yep. I, I spotted by a hotel ice machine in 68. And in 69, they got Hampton. And that's like we talked about this before. That's not all of them. So they were aggressive. Like right now, politics have shifted to fifth generation warfare, even in terms of assassinations. We do character assassinations now. We don't kill people. We'll leave you alive to tell the tale. Now that may change soon as people become desensitized to 
you know, assaults and reputation destruction. But the reputation destruction is now the new assassination. Uh, I don't know if you would agree, but I, 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 I would, I would leave it there for conversation. I'll just uh, the point for that. Yeah, there's there's hard power, which is you know killing people and throwing them in jail, and there's soft power, which is kind of what what our government has specialized in the last, I don't know, we'll say 40, 50 years. But it does kind of seem like we're turning a corner where they're heading back to some hard power. I mean, they just threw a guy in jail the other day. They just convicted a guy the other day of, of making memes about, about you know, the 2016 election. He might be going to jail for 10 years for that. Hold on, in, Amer- in America? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, guy, the guy's na- name on Twitter was Ricky Vaughn, and he made one of those memes. You know, it's an old joke, like... You would say, "Hey, get out and vote for the Democrats on Wednesday." You know, like you're—it's it, meant to be a joke. Like, yeah, I want the other side to 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 show up at the polls too late. Well, he did that, but he said, "Like, text this number to vote for Hillary so you can skip the lines." Like, you look at it; it's it's obviously a joke. Well, it ain't a joke now because they put him in federal court. He just got tried and convicted of like violating people's civil rights by interfering in elections and he could he could face up to 10 years in prison once he's sentenced yeah and i mean look at the january 6 people who've been rotting in jail for for two and a half years so they're they're definitely shifting back towards hard power but oh no i i i believe i think that history may be poised to repeat itself so here's what i feel about the fbi and king there's a statement without truth there could be no reconciliation you guys familiar with that statement yes uh south africa Mandela. Yep, my man. So it was also used again after the Rwanda genocide. And part of the reconciliation part, and look at Rwanda right now. If, if you don't know about much about Rwanda, Rwanda is fucking popping, right? They got over that, hacking each other up with machetes, you know, 20 years ago, because they kept it, they kept it a buck. They were like, you know what? We was really stupid, and we fell for the okie-doke, and we all killed each other because we were really stupid. And sometimes people are really stupid, and we're really sorry. And they got past it. Or they, they're working past it, in an honest way. So without truth, there can be no reconciliation. So as talks of reparations for slavery are plunging into our political discourse right now, and to me in ways that feel uncomfortably weaponized, and I have a reparations plan that I'll pitch that I think is smart, that I think you would even agree with, but not just whatever the fuck they're doing now. Oh, I got to hear that. Let, uh, let's well, go. I, I, I tell it next, but I'm reminded about all the murders that the FBI did. And then to your point, whichever one of you who, who just mentioned that is back, <laughs> until we, can, we can't we can have uh, restorative justice, right? Uh, to use a, a left, uh, you know, a woke, a woke phrase. A real, but it's a real phrase. Restorative justice means truth. So... Despite the vote, the fervent virtue signaling by Democrats about reparations or or restorative justice, they can't even come clean that the FBI was killing people, was killing black freedom fighters, and maybe white freedom fighters too, who, who never know, right? We talked about that before too, with with uh, with old boy who got murdered by his his crazy uh, follower. Anyway, I, I'll tell you my reparations plan real quick before we go back to King, and, and I want to see if you will vote for it. And look, if you don't vote for it, I'm not going to be mad. I don't give a fuck. But I'm going to try to earn your vote for Seneca Scott's reparation plan. And the reason I have this reparations plan, because I feel that they're weaponizing reparations right now, because it's a very emotional wedge issue. Um, 
So I'll start by saying that I am for reparation <clears throat> as a black person. And I think that there's a way to do it that makes sense for everyone and that has the appropriate amount of balance. And here's the plan. But first, I have to ask you a series of questions. And I want to know if you agree with each of these questions. And at the end, I'll tell you my plan. Deal? Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's go. Now, I raised money off of this. When I was trying to raise money in Oakland two years ago, not even two years ago, a year a year or so ago, a year and a half ago, um, to file a lawsuit about Oakland's not um, following a homeless policy they passed, I tried to raise a bunch of money to sue the city because I didn't you know, have that kind of money. But I didn't want to let it slide. Um, because I had ran for city council and they had like used this plan they voted on anyway. Um, so I wanted some money to sue somebody and I, and I was trying to raise money from a bunch of rich white people and a lot of them was Republicans. And um, they was like, reparations, reparations. And I was like, hey man, I got a reparations plan. If I pitch it to you and you agree, you're gonna write me a check for my nonprofit, right? And I was raising money off of it, so here it go. First question, do you agree that slavery existed in America? It was like a thing that happened. Mm, yeah, sure. Okay. Second question. For any group of disenfranchised people, enslaved or not enslaved or whatever, what is the best means of self-determination? What is the start? I mean, uh, manumission. This is the conversation part. I would say education. Okay. L literacy for starters, moving on up to higher education. Um, for starters, not just, you know, education alone will not get you assets, but let's just start with education. That's something that anybody can do, right? If given the opportunity. In other words, you got a degree, uh, you've been educated. You don't really have any excuses. Uh, you, you should be able to, to take care of your destiny. Uh, that's what I'm getting at. Absolutely. I agree with that. All right. right. So question number three. How are education dollars decimated in America? What's, how, do, how does it work? Mm, uh, the states generally uh, collect, uh, well, it depends on a different state, but either property taxes or. You got it. Property taxes. I mean, it's not that simple, but that's the main, that's the bulk of it. Property taxes. Yeah. When you have places with more ownership, you have better, more education dollars. And unless they're fucking the money off, you have better education. Right. Um, so quick story. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was 16 years old. It was 1997. Crack was like full swing. So we moved from a house my grandfather owned. We didn't have to pay anything for to a house my parents had to purchase in South Euclid, Ohio, a suburb 15 minutes away from my old house. My school was night and fucking day. And in, in a year and a half, I had to catch up on well, four years of high school so I could be successful at Cornell. That's how bad my fucking education was in Cleveland Public Schools, right? That moving 15 minutes away to the suburbs and purchase in the house in public schools afforded me, uh, I mean, it's just it's just night and day. It's not even the same thing. That makes sense? Yeah. You ever met Jim Brown? No, I have not. But I met Frank, um, uh, what's the guy's name? We caught the Immaculate Conception. He came to my high school. Frank O'Harris. Yeah, I met fucking Hell Frank yeah. Uh, so anyway, back on track. What I'm getting at is this. So that's a question number three is done. Question number four: What group in America had a uh, uh, a significant head start in acquiring real estate assets and and significant advantages when you consider redlining and blockbusting and other insidious practices, lending practices, and then the introduction of credit ratings? 
recently. Uh, who had an advantage to acquire those assets? Would you would you agree that white people had an advantage over black people for a long time to acquire those assets? Well, if you're talking from the time between, like, say, 1605 until 1865, there was an inherent legal advantage for, for white people to, to gain real estate. I, After I, would, that, I would expand I, it to another 60 years. You see, we could have that today, or you could just say, I feel you. We have an advantage, or we could get to the plan. But, okay, you know. Here's the problem with this. Having an advantage, it's not like it's not like this stuff was given to, like, okay, for, let's use my family, for example. Uh, we came where I live in the 1720s, and we've been here ever since. We weren't given anything here. Everything that, that exists here, we made it. You, you built it. Exactly. So, like, yeah, uh, people who were born later had an advantage. But here's an example I'll give. Here's an example I'll give. The reconstruction in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that place was thriving, and then it got burnt down by the government. That did a lot of that did a lot of harm. A lot of people shit got fucked up. Who I, I, I'm, up. I'm with you. Let, let's say we'll a lot get, of this okay. stuff is us being Southerners and all that. All that like uh, <laughs> you, you, I think that general story is uh, black people are doing the Great Migration. They're going up north, and then they're you have all this stuff like redlining and stuff. So I think us as Southerners, we just sort of like, oh, that's just Yankee stuff. Well, no, look, there's predatory capitalism that affects people across class warfare. Oh yeah, right. So I don't want to get I don't I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but uh, it's a great conversation to have for people from different perspectives. But I want to get to the plan and see if you agree with it, which is what this yeah. was all about in the first place. But mm -hmm. I wanted to get I wanted you to see where I was coming from. So here's my reparations plan, and I want to know if you vote yes or no. And this is a tough one because now I'm talking to the good old boys, not. Not white people in, in Oakland, California, who may be Republicans, but good some rhinos. They're just like, we don't like the Dems anymore. They play, we, they push them to the right, a lot of people, right? If you check with these people 20 years ago, they would be Democrats, most of them. For the next 20 years, black people, if, and let's say for simplicity's sake, and I'm not talking about Africans, black people, you know, what is it, ADOS, whatever the fuck it is, ADOS. You don't pay any property taxes. You don't pay any uh, capital gains taxes. And you don't pay for public higher education. 20 years. That's my plan. You vote yes or no. Okay. I My answer is this. So first off, I mean, just because of um, uh, the theme of our show or whatever, and uh, I could not vote yes because I, I will never vote for anything that gives people something that doesn't give me, but that's... Uh, but however, that's fair. That is fair. That's a fair answer. But, and I, but that. I mean, like realistically, that would be the that would be a. I mean, so, uh, I mean, like it. That wouldn't be the most expensive thing in the world. I mean, so like first off, like in my state, if you if you make like A B's, you get you your college is free anyway, and um. Well, there, well, there you go. I, I love mean, it. There so we go. already do that. I mean. But they could be rich, though. They could be a wealthy person. Matter of fact, you could even throw in a wealth cap. No problem. Throw in a wealth cap. You make some, you got so much money. You I mean, count. if you did that, that would be uh, practically no big deal. I mean, especially because everything people talk about now is uh, millions of cash, money, dollars, and stuff like that. Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. It's weaponized. That's what I mean. So what what I'm hearing is, as a as a matter of fundamentals, you will vote no because you don't believe in it. Uh, uh, period. But in terms of a compromise or something that makes common sense, you could see the mirror in such a presentation. That, am I getting that correct? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, especially if there was, um, you know, some uh, give and take on it. <laughs> well, there's a fun, there's a fundamental problem at the base of all talk about reparations, and and the the first problem is, and like, and we're we're not considering that because we're right, we're right now we're doing like we're doing. Uh, uh, what's it like model UN stuff we're saying this is what would happen if, if our, we had a functional government so we're not going to count this in it but the fundamental problem is reparations never ends because the whole point is to transfer money from your political from if you're a democratic party from your political enemies to your political friends so there's no point where you can say okay we paid off reparations we're even for slavery that, that can never happen but if it could in theory the plan you laid out well giving tax like I guess tax a tax, tax holiday. A twenty-year tax holiday for black people probably wouldn't move the needle for the U.S. budget because it's just uh, uh, like unless we're talking like state sales tax and stuff. No, uh, no, like, that's a that's a capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could even throw in. Let's even you throw in, even throw in income tax, income tax, capital gains tax, income tax. Right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't move the more. needle because there aren't there aren't there aren't a ton of, like uh, I mean. Numerically, there are a lot, but if you're going by percentages, there are not a lot of black people who are paying a high income tax already, and are not in, or capital gains tax. Like you could do this and not what you said, you could do this and not bust the budget. So like this wouldn't be, this wouldn't be like a problem financially for the for the United States it's to a, do it this. Actually, makes fiscal. Here's what I'm getting at more. If you will, if I would explain my reasoning, which I think is more important than than being a workable policy. Here's my reasoning for this. If you don't work, you don't get shit. If you don't want to go get educated, you don't get anything. You don't save taxes if you don't work. You don't, like capital gains tax, that's people who invest. That means you're cashing out on an investment, right? So it encourages people to be self-determined. And I think it's, it's more, I don't think we're ever going to get it passed because no one wants to hear anything common sense. But since we're having these conversations now, I'm in a position where either I have to say no reparations, I'm done, it's over. I, I don't actually believe that. I don't. I, I think that as a personal experience, I, I didn't deserve what I got. And, and you know, we owned our house. My family owned my house. How's the people on our block owned our house in the city of Cleveland? But for whatever reason, you know, my fucking education was shitty because nobody, not enough people owned. I think that when you talk about root causes, the root cause of sin is man, is people. So you're never going to get to the bottom of that. And that's like, root cause is shorthand for we're not going to do shit about it. So <laughs> my reparations plan came out because I'm in Oakland, AACP. People are passing reparations policies. You're in debates. You can't have a debate. There's a non-starter in, in, in my universe um, to, to not have a logical descent of why $5 million and $150,000 a year is a non-starter, right? Well, there's the the more, like, not even we're talking, we're not talking about, like, can this be done, which it can't, which it really can't be done, but, like, should it be done? And the answer to that is, no, there should, there should not be reparations for slavery. And, like, there's a couple reasons. For one, the the idea that you're going to collectively punish the the people of the United States for something that happened in that time period that doesn't that doesn't really make sense and if and if you started and, and if you did that like if if we decided if we went, came together and our political leaders decided there needs to be like a, a financial penalty in a, uh, f- to the descendants of people who 
had slaves and the financial reward of the people who are descendants of slaves, then you would also, and I'm talking, I mean, I know politically this wouldn't happen, but like on a, like on a moral and logical level, you would have to say, okay, so subsequent to slavery and the years afterwards, we're going to have to, to you know, figure out what was the tax burden on the people of the United States for the descendants of slaves from like, let's say, the period of the, like the Great Society until like 2023. What if that number is bigger than the like the the GDP uh -huh. number good, of slavery? Point. Or, or for example, and here I'll here I'll, I will throw a good old boy bone out. All right, the, there was about <laughs> 1.5 billion dollars in 1865 uh, money in damage to the to the South uh, inflicted by ostensibly our own government because remember the the, the North did not recognize us as our own country. Uh, in, in 2023 dollars, that is two, that's 27 trillion dollars, aka a little bit more than the GDP of the United States. So if there, if reparations are, are to be had, then that's fine. We'll do what it, we'll do that, and then after that, we'll just take like one year of the GDP and hand it off to the descendants of the, the sons of the South, and everybody will be even at that point. Whoa, 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 whoa! What about the Mexican? Mexican-American War. In California, they're pushing reparations for. But black people, we don't have no slavery here. Um, yeah. But it used to be Mexico. I think Mexicans is old first, right? Well, now, legally, we uh, legally the United States paid Mexico for the Mexican cessation. So ah, legally, that, that, that okay. was taken All care right. of. You're taking my fun away, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to... You get what I'm getting at. If you don't mind, I want to get back on the FBI thing. Because, um, first off, <laughs> yes. I know that you... Sorry about that. Yeah, that was. But anyway, that's my revelation. Now that's fun. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, so, so we both love the X Files. I'm understanding you. Do uh, you like the X Files? You said something about it. Yeah, I used to fuck with the X Files back in the day. Okay, so the X Files had this this thing about Martin Luther King Jr. that was so good, like I couldn't believe it. So uh, there's this. It, this is hard to explain. So today in America, we have we just have left and right, left. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very simple. Uh, but like, okay. Uh, and if you go back and listen, we had an episode, we had an episode about called the Boston Brahmin. I think that's kind of part of this, but so in the, in the X-Files, the smoking man was driving home in his car in what is it? 1964 or five, whatever. And, uh, and he's listening to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr give a speech and he's talking about civil rights and the smoking man this is young smoking man is smiling and he says this 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 is a good guy well i like him as the speech goes on martin luther king jr changes his tone of voice and he starts talking about class and like and i can't remember exactly but it was stuff to make the smoking man goes his face turns into a scowl and he says goddamn Russians and communism is a judgment against our failure to make democracy real in a speech from Martin Luther King. Yes. And so I spoken man wrote it in his venture novel. Um, some fucking book, some book he wrote, he wrote the shit, but yeah. Right. And so what's, what's weird. So in today's, you wouldn't understand why, why would someone, they love civil rights, but then when they start talking about communism, uh, and, and in the show, what happened was as soon as he did that, he turned the car around and he went and shot Martin Luther King Jr. Now, uh, why did, what, like, 
and that that was so brilliant because like and the thing is if you the uh like the ruling um the Boston Brahmin who weren't really running the country anymore at that time but these were the there there are they're still powerful in Boston but there's this clique of people that basically ran the United States for a long time they kind of lost power in like the 30s 40s something like that I'm being I'm very simplified but they loved civil rights they you would Think of people would think of them as being lefty today, but they hated communism and the so well, they hated the Soviet Union more than any right winger did. Now, wow, you, you know, you talk about exactly what I wanted to connect today, yes. So, yeah, th- th- this is one of the nuanced things that, that's sort of hard to pick up. Like, why, why is there anything here? So, this is why you could have someone. Well, he was running for he was running for president. Did you know Martin Luther King was running for president when he was? Killed? I didn't know that. <laughs> he was running for president on an anti-war ticket during the time of his death. Now, at the time of his death, like so, civil rights, civil rights, um, the CRA was passed. At the time of his death, he was on something else. He was doing the poor people's campaign, right? Yep, poor people's campaign, like like uh, Saul Alinsky, right? Type five. And the the Boston Brahmin, a lot of people think thought that this was in the, and there on you know on the wikipedia there's a um they show fbi uh fbi documents have been leaked that said the fbi was sure j edgar hoover in fact w- thought that he was uh taking orders from the soviet union at that time now see they this, this is what's weird right because because obviously these people liked martin luther king jr during did he really believe that he thought that king and them and them were taking orders from russia well i mean i mean i, I mean I don't, I don't see why not i'm just in, asking in the, in the context of this i think it's like it's kind of like a uh, a gang fight right you have these two people like the fbi and, and we've talked about this before like the fbi and the cia they i know that there's kind of this perception popularly Especially like like Oliver Stone conspiracy theories, like these like these organizations were like really right wing, right? But they they weren't. They were founded by by liberals. They're like they're liberal in, in like the in big big uh, the small sorry the small L sense liberal progressive institutions. Mm-hmm. All the people so to them them sneaky liberals. <laughs> so for them, somebody who's has more affinity towards the. I mean, it, by this time, it wasn't Stalinist, but the hard, the, the like the hard Soviet Union line in in this like ideological dispute versus the American line, like they're a threat. It's a Bloods and Crips thing. They're not. They're not like they're not. I, I mean, maybe they did think that Martin Luther King was literally taking money from the Soviet Union. Which, by the way, so then, so then, would the same thing apply to Trump then? There were there were people in the United States, like in Congress, in in the 30s and 40s, and maybe even the 50s, who literally were taking money from the KGB. So it's not like that was insane for them to say, "Well, this guy might be on the the payroll of Soviet Union," because people were. But they didn't have to believe that. They could just say, "This guy is saying stuff that doesn't directly follow the exact line that we want," and that's a problem for us. The more popular he gets, the bigger the problem gets. I, I, well, it was Benjamin Spock. I don't know who Benjamin Spock was. Oh, he was the guy that wrote all the books about child about raising children back in the day. He was running for president on an anti-war ticket with that guy. Yes. So that's there now. Credit Scott King is your aunt. 
Uh, and, and like the black son. Technically, she's my first cousin once we move. It's my grandfather's niece. Right. Now, the FBI, or uh, so they had this case where they said this guy, uh, James Earl Ray, shot Martin. Now, it this was this was her husband after he was after he died uh i mean if i was like if i was her and i really and i really thought that james or killed my husband well well i mean so like immediately and she was very clear like every statement she said uh well here's one of the statements but she was consistent on this for years um basically i, I, I had the quote here but basically she said that uh there, there is an abundant evidence that one. Uh, maybe, but basically, like a shadow government wanted him killed, and they yeah. used the mafia to do it. Yep, there's an abundant evidence of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband, Martin Luther King Jr. And then after the verdict, she made that statement. This, this verdict is not only a great victory for my family, but also a, a great victory for America. It is a great victory for the truth itself. The children, MLK III and Bernice, also added the seriousness in which the U.S. intelligence agencies planned the murder of their father. Um, a high-level conspiracy theory that, oh shit, I, took, I think I fucked the court up. I had it somewhere. But yeah, I, the, the trial proved that the mafia was involved. She didn't know that until the trial. And it was because that guy um, went on record in like the 90s. Do you remember that? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, he, that's why that trial happened. Yeah, uh, he he, lay, he later went back and said it wasn't true. He didn't do it, but uh, you, you're saying Coretta Scott did believe that he was involved in the in the in the killing, even even after that. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. I could go through it in significant detail. Um, both the FBI, the Memphis police involvement. The fact that the Memphis police, high brass, used to work for the FBI and came from the FBI before they went to the MPB. Um, the connections with, I mean, that's where we're here, right? Let's just get into this. So again, there's a there's a place where you can find all of this out, but there's a, there's a lot a lot of dense information here about the um, even like the Mustang, right? Like the the car that that Ray. The, the suspected killer drove off in, there's two of those, <laughs> right? There's two of those cars. And one of those cars had the address to a place in New Orleans that was connected to Oswald, right? So when you're talking about the the uh, Marcello, the Marcello family, they're connected to both King and JFK. It, it, it's funny because, you know, there during the like in the, it when at the time it happened and into the 70s and 80s and even 90s there was this like cottage industry of conspiracies about the various political assassinations of the 60s like fam most famous ones JFK uh, and 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 his brother too RFK but while there were cons like conspiracy theories about Martin Luther King you don't hear them anymore, ever. People still talk about JFK uh, conspiracy theories. People still talk about Ooh. RFK conspiracy theories. But no one ever brings up Martin Luther King, which I think now, now, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because 
since Martin want, Luther I King. I want to hear the reason. I want to hear the reason. I think because Martin Luther King is now like the Santa Claus slash Jesus of the religion of the uh, Democratic Party, that they don't, they don't. They don't want to. They don't even want to entertain these ideas. The story has to be exactly what, exactly as it was, it was told to the public. And you can't even like it would be. It would be sacrilegious to like the Democratic Party if you suggested that there was a conspiracy to kill Martin Luther King, other than the one that you know that is in the history books, which is that this uh, random which ass is cracker guy shot him. That is a new phenomenon. Yeah, if, very, if, very if, new. Yeah, it's very new. If in 2018, I had been out there like, yo, the FBI killed King, stay woke. Hey, the left would have been like, yup. AOC would have been like, yup, you right. They killing all the black freedom fighters. But now, no, you're a conspiracy theorist. What are you talking about? Right? You're right winger. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, it's it's, that's another funny thing. Like you just said, stay woke. I'm like I I got on. I had never heard of woke until I got on Twitter in like 2015. And woke back then was slang for like for for brothers talking about conspiracy theories, right? Yeah, it was slang for hotel. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, bro. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you look up on Twitter, the first person to say stay woke, it is Calf Wins, my fucking brother. <laughs> that's, that's my that's our shit right that's brooklyn slang for hotel shit stay woke yo to fucking keep the third eye open don't drink the fucking fluoride <laughs> the fluoride in the water the moon landing you know what i'm saying 9 11 you know what i mean it's fucking was fake and all of that you know this and that and wu-tang shit right that was all yo we incubated that. You're talking to, right now, you're talking to one of the people who incubated the fucking word, stay woke. And if you don't believe me, <laughs> if you don't believe me, go to fucking Twitter, go search who said stay woke first, and it's fucking Cav wins, and then look and do your little research and shit, and you will see that that's my brother. I will call, I mean, I'll call that man right now, man. Yo, like, yes, yes. But yeah. see... It, but it, it can't. It don't mean that no more, though. No, no. And I remember exactly like because I, I got on Twitter and I saw like people. There was like at, at that point it became bifurcated. It was like you would see people who were talking about what you're talking about, like you know the the, the secrets of the pyramid, stay woke. And then people started using it in the political the the uh, primary between Sanders and Clinton, and because she had the backing of like a lot of these like. I'm thinking of people like Imani Gandhi, you know, you've heard, have you heard, you know her? People like that started using the, the like the, the term stay woke in the context of her dumbass political campaign. Yep, and it, yep. with, within a year, it morphed into woke means like that you're woke to the, to like whatever, like everything that the like progressive Democratic you're, Party you're, people. You're an, you're an NPC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and, 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 and the, like the funniest irony is after that happened, it morphed again into being something that that like right wing and conservative people would say to make fun of the Democrats. It, I, I, it's hard to. I don't know that it, there's a like a, a comparable thing. I can imagine. I don't know. Imagine if if they took yeehaw from us and turned it into like a, a, a cutting insult that was people were talking about on CNN and shit. It, it's it's really insane that this went from like you said like the hotep catchphrase to. People on people on MSNBC are dis, are discussing whether or not this senator is woke. Well, it's because we're just weird now. Um, 
<laughs> ridicule has always been a potent weapon. And so people are all, look at Trump. You're talking about the master of yes. ridicule, right? And so you can't, there's no defense for ridicule. That's why it's one of the rules for radical and Saul Alinsky's primer, right? There's no defense for it. If you can make the joke stick, they gotta eat it. So that's why it took off because people are looking for anything that encapsulate just the insidiousness of the the virtue signaling and the uh, performative altruism and purity pageant that are the mainstays of, you know, I got a new, I got a new name. All right. I'm going to debut it tonight on Good Old Boys. What time is it? 5.32 p.m. Pacific it's exclusive. Time. It's fucking exclusive. So if you're listening to this, well, you're not, you may hear it first. Anyway, champagne socialist Democrat equals Progressive Democrat equals Prague Dems. So I'm sorry, equals Sog Dems, not Prague Dems, Sog Dems, right? Socialist Dems, but fake Socialist Dems. I want to draw a distinction. Equals Soggies. Remember the, the Soggies from, from uh, Captain Crunch? <laughs> yes. They're the little milk guys that ruin your cereal, yeah. Yeah, they ruin your shit, man. Yo, they ruin your Saturday morning, your cartoons, and your cereal, you're trying to have, catch a vibe, and then your cereal soggy. That's the fucking woke. So I'm calling them soggies now. You got to move on from the woke. So I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to get my Trump on and get some new nicknames. It may be too meta, but we'll see if we can get it to stick. Um, I'll be interested in the inherent problem with with ridiculing them is that right now they run things, and it's really hard if you don't if you're outside to to ridicule people who have power because you know they can they can make your they can make your life difficult. But Trump, I mean, people, you That's you, you nailed did, it with though. Trump. That's exactly what he did in 2015. He went on, and I don't know if you did. You guys watch those primary debates? Because I did. I was oh, glued to it. Oh yeah. And he would go in with these people who ran the Republican Party. People like Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio were like they were anointed to be the, the nominees. And the and the crowd and people forget the crowd at these debates that were like you know mainstream Republican people and their version of the NGO babies. They were booing the shit out of Trump. It was a hostile room every time he did this. Every time, yo. But, but he, he cut those it's guys funny. so hard. It's funny. Yeah, and you know, and for one thing, they were just they were just weak. I remember there was not just funny; they were weak. They were very weak. Yeah, was, the yeah. Host, the hostile yeah, like, room thing. That's kind of like what. Um, that's when Rogan was like, he is. Rogan was like, he must have had lessons from like a stand-up comedian stuff because you know, like when a, a room booing you and stuff, and you keep telling jokes. That's that's kind of like a. He was on WWF, bro. Oh, no, that's where oh, he no, got. No. He's used to being a heel. That's where he got that training from. You do know, you do, I mean, uh, to me, Trump is a professional comedian. And I don't mean that to yeah. diminish. I'm not saying he's a clown. Like Absolutely. And Goodfellas, like, he's a fucking clown. No, he's not a clown. He's a very serious person. But he is a professional fucking comedian. He's a professional comedian. He's very, very good at that shit. Right? Like, his last speech was, it's stand-up comedy. This guy's telling jokes every 15 seconds on cue. You know how hard that is? You got to write those shits out. That's not easy. That's hard. It's so hard to do that. Anyone who's ever tried to do stand-up and go make people laugh can attest to that. But one, one thing that I'll say, I'm, I'm doing that in Oakland. I just don't have Trump money. 
I just, that's what I do. I'm winning in Oakland right now because I just, I'm so vicious. I mean, you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm on, I'm at these people's throats, like, fuck you. And I live in the wokest city in the country, damn near. And it doesn't matter. People are running to the, the post-partisan hell right now in Oakland because they're just over this shit, right? You just have to take, um, you should have to take booze for a while. That's all. I think it's a good metaphor. You just got to eat it and, and, and eat shit and grin and, and, and beg for more and make people laugh. But more importantly, they make people laugh. And this is the part that I think was most important. He said whatever was, was everyone's head. And he called people out. And when he said, when I pick up the phone and make a card or whoever, I don't care what party you're at. You pick up the phone. If I pay you enough money to do what I say, that was history. Yep. A hero, a hero was fucking born. Yeah, the, one of the most cutting lines he had was they were up there, and they, you know, by then he was the front runner, so they were all attacking him. And he just said, "These guys, they begged me for money. I've given them money in the past. You know, they're, 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 I, I'm above them." And, and he really, this, this is a great point about the comedian thing. You know, he would talk shit about Jeb Bush's wife. Which is like the most, the most insulting thing you can really do to a man. And Jeb Bush backed down. Was like this is this, you're being inappropriate. And you know the, the the subject will move on. And at one point, like Jeb Bush high fived Trump in the same in the same like debate where he they had been talking about how he insulted his wife. And, and you know if if you're that if you're that floppy. If you if you don't like if, if nothing if, if nothing means anything to you that somebody can get away with that, you nobody's going to respect you. And this is this is what the the, the ridicule thing. The only, like really the only response that they could have had to him that would have worked was like Jeb Bush just like physically fucking attack him. Like if you wanted no, to I'm stop a, Trump I'm from getting elected, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get you back. You put to sit there, nod your head like Will Smith, and be mad and shit. And say, I'm gonna get you back. Or smack a motherfucker. Or something. Yeah, but that that's not in those guys, and and they and they couldn't do that. So yeah, that, that's. That's all a great By the point. Way, um, I don't know if, if it's this. Um, I want to go back to Martin Luther King. <laughs> okay, so like, all right. There's other things going on. So one thing that's hard to understand is that I mean, when you look at history, especially as uh, all of us, we didn't grow up in that time. But whenever you're learning history of America, you just keep seeing like every like 63 to 1972 seems like a lot of stuff was going on, and this is. This is happening during that time. America is in a very like so you're like, well, would they would they do this? Uh, like why why did why would they do these crazy things? Well, America was in a very uh, peculiar time during this. Uh, like there are so many different reasons why this is this is one of the funny things when you look at JFK like um uh looking for a motive where there's so many people that had a motive to kill him it's it's, it's crazy. But anyways, so absolutely, uh, so it's un. Without question, that J. Edgar Hoover. Now, th- th- well, let's just start here. This is hilarious. Can you imagine this? This today in 1967, Hoover listed the SCLC as a black nationalist hate group, with the instructions: no opportunity should be missed to exploit through counterintelligence techniques the organizational and personal conflicts of the leadership of the groups to ensure the targeted group is disrupted, ridiculed, or discredited. So, J. Edgar Hoover personally did not like Martin Luther King. He went to RFK and JFK to uh, begin wiretapping King, and all the way, and this was this all came out of the church committee. Now 
but the miss one missing part here is it's not like okay what what about why is the Soviet but by the way John F Kennedy begged King to uh, get rid of his lawyer because his lawyer uh, had been involved with the Communist Party United States in other words yeah. in other words which was definitely compromised by the Soviets but yeah Earl, Earl Browder was the chairman of the CPUSA for a long time his sister was literally a KGB agent and, like there were ties too like like guy like Paul Robeson so I mean it wasn't outrageous to think that for one thing it was explicitly a, a, a tactic of the USSR to exploit this divi- this division in their political enemy, like of course you anybody everybody, would do everybody that. Does like, it, this. It, yeah. Yes, it, but but it, it, like I said, it's important to understand this is a gang fight between two progressive factions. It's but, not a. It's not even a right versus right, but left. But there's a word it, I want to bring up: Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And so that's the other thing is that remember this guy is like, and the big word i was on mute i fucked up my timing but yeah the big word. right and that's why like uh this stuff about martin luther king being wishy-washy you know oh well my lawyer's a communist or whatever and um uh dc acts very vengeful about that why is that different well i mean part of it is in other words like we're talking about motive here uh the united states is losing a war to the to the soviet union during this time and uh they've felt a certain kind of way about it but anyways, this, it's not like they're this. You don't even have to really establish this. All came out the church committee. They, they, the documents came out that definitely J. Edgar Hoover hated Martin Luther King Jr. and all this kind of stuff. I mean, be it like the you know the poor people's movement, whatever. But Vietnam was like one of those things where if if you had uh, what's the phrase? It, it was it was it crossed class lines and it crossed racial lines. If you look at the casualties in Vietnam. The, ca- like the, the, the casualties almost exactly matched like the populations. Like there used to be like this this people would say that the you know the the government used black people as cannon fodder in Vietnam, but that's not true really. It was no, pretty they much used it, poor people as cannon yes, fodder. Yes, it, it was broken down almost perfectly by race. Like it was like you know n- uh, ninety whatever ninety percent of the casualties were white or, or sorry eighty some and then twelve percent were black. Just like the population in the United States. This is the issue that every if you weren't rich enough to get to to get a deferment you know either through college or whatever this mattered to you so this was a critical pressure point that could be applied and it wasn't just it it, it doesn't matter which part of the political spectrum you were from if you were if, if you went hard against vietnam you were a threat to the people who were in power in 1968 period period so may i may i, may I add something to this then because we're making connections to a very a similar period in history um, to now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, at least. And you mentioned before uh, the sanitation of King's legacy. Here's what I'm getting at. What was the excuse for the Vietnam War? What was Robert McNamara saying and people in charge saying? Robert McNamara was, I'm sure you guys know this, but I'm going to do what you guys do for your audience, was <laughs> the National Security Advisor uh, during the beginning of and most of the Vietnam War. What was the reason given? Containment. And what Cont- was the famous um, theory? Domino that, theory, yeah. And what was the domino theory? It was theory that it, you had this, you had to contain the spread of, of communist revolutions pretty far away from even the borders of places we cared about because if Vietnam falls, then Cambodia falls, Laos falls, Thailand falls, India falls, the next thing you know, the entire world is communist. That was the theory. And what was the country that was the boogeyman? 
The USSR. Okay. I, and it's very accurate. I want to say USSR. I say Russia for propaganda purposes. Because here's, <laughs> the, here's the next part. So, what's the excuse for the Ukraine war again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the same shit. What? Yeah. But, so, <laughs> so, would Dr. King be for this shit? Yeah, no. I mean, no, he wouldn't. I mean, so extrapolate, extrapolate. You know what I'm saying? Especially if there was a draft right now. They say we're gonna go pick up all these, all these 18 year old white boys, black boys. Uh, if Martin Luther King was in the hood, uh, he would be telling brothers to not go. I would say. I mean, I would say draft or no draft. The amount of money that we're spending right now in a time of critical need, uh, where we have a crumbling infrastructure. And a, a vastly growing um, uh, wealth divide, and we need support domestically. We're drafting our money, our taxpayers' money. The interesting so, part here. Sorry. It, it, well, just real quick before we move on, the 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 really funny thing about the Vietnam issue is that, like you know, how I was saying this was really a gang fight between two between two factions of, and we'll say ideologies that were cousins. Well, Vietnam is a gang fight. In America, between the pro- factions of the Progressive Party, like all right, if you're if you're Lyndon Johnson, you're part of the old Labor New Deal, and I mean, I mean, really, the Great Society Coalition that he and Kennedy expanded on and built from what Roosevelt left them. You're you you're against you're fighting against this insurgent part of the Democratic Party that will eventually take over and still runs the country to the day. You know, the 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 whiz kid. They used to call them some like Atari Democrats, but mostly social justice progressives who weren't plugged into the labor movement the way these people were. Uh, they yeah. and they weren't as plugged in into at the t- at the time as plugged into race into like racial grievance politics. But that wasn't because they had a, a problem with it, like in essence, but just because of the of the way the the way that the things shook out at the time. Like they were uh, uh, higher education, uh, especially anti-war. So, like the, the the Vietnam War is important to be. It's important for it to be prosecuted by liberals in the Democratic Party, and, and like there were uh, Republicans and conservatives who who were who also believed in the dominant theory. So they're on board, but they're being attacked by other progressives who eventually went out. And in 1972, they take they officially take control of the party. That's part of the reason why they got they got absolutely clobbered by Nixon in 72 because they had this schism where they took they took shit over. And, and so it's it's not even just like a it, there's like it's layers and layers and layers in politics. You slice it up and there's conflict between groups. This is one of the reasons why people like the the smoking like the cigarette smoking man in the X Files who he he plots everything out. He kills Martin Luther King. And he does all this stuff. That that is bullshit because there's not just one cigarette smoking man. There's like a billion different people who are fighting each other over power, and this is going to be yeah, this is going to be the, true in, in shadows, any. In the shadows. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the I think one of the most important parts of the story. So, uh, like, regardless of how you feel about Martin Luther King, which so I mean, like, it's so funny. So, like, by the way, at this time in like 1960, like in the mid 1960s, uh, there's this there's this thing. In D.C., like, remember, like, nobody elected J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover is, obviously, he's representing something. And J. Edgar Hoover is, uh, you know, 
there's there's something there behind Jagger Hoover, and he's able to be uh, uh, combative with elected officials and stuff like that. This thing could be like uh, George Wallace is the closest thing to MLK Jr. for uh, white people in the South, and uh, George Wallace said we would be out of Vietnam in 90 days if he was elected. Uh, they shot him immediately. The, j- immediately. Wow. Where I- mm, do you remember? Uh, it, it was, it was, in, it was in a campaign, uh, a campaign rally and somebody shot him and paralyzed him. Didn't kill him, but they yeah. damn near but these did. two guys. So Wallace and, Martin Luther King Jr., very opposite people. Today, people would think, well, that's just the two sides of the scale. There's, But there's this other thing, and it's it's uh, probably has something to do with things like Boston Brahmin or whatever, but it's clear it's there. That's a very, very important thing uh, in America is uh, that there is a shadow government, and it's been there, and it used to be practically open. This is the stuff with the Good Shepherd and stuff like that. But who controls it? Does the does the current ruling party get to control the shadow government? Is that the part of the the, the spoils of war? Well, I I don't think that that the shadow that that uh, I think it's running on. Well, there's like the, I was absolutely a shadow government up until like the 30s, that was like unified. Uh, you know, all the there's all these different like groups, but basically the Boston Brahmin and stuff. I don't know anymore, but I, it's the, but all those sort of pieces like the FBI, like the FBI supposedly was set up to stop like bank robbers and stuff. Uh, Joe Rogan on his show, I didn't mean to bring him up twice in this episode, but Joe Rogan had a guy on his show last week uh, talking about, and the New York Times printed that um, the FBI and the, and the NSA basically were running political campaigns against that man running in Alabama. You remember him, Merrick? Um, uh, do, you, uh, do you mean the guy that was a judge yes. before? <sighs> Damn it, yeah. They, I uh, Ray, Ray yeah, something, They right? had millions of bots running that said he was going to ban the sale of alcohol in, in Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was it Roy Moore? Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, yeah. she was like, so, like, what is that? Who is she working for? And well, there is something there. There's still rails on there. I don't think that there's a a, a singular unit. I think the machine is still running, but no one's flying it. Is my estimation. But I, I have, how would I know? You know. You know, I think that we have devolved into largely a uniparty, mm-hmm. and you see that if you follow the money, as always, it's hard, it's hard to track exactly what's going on. And if there is any inter elite, how, how intense is the inter elite competition right now in our in our geopolitical politics? I think it's growing in, at a crazy rate, and that's just part of the reason why we see all this insane shit with transsexuals and whatever. Because there's just so much competition that now they're pulling out all the stops against each yeah, other. But but, but look at the other way. I mean, they're they're so scared, like. They're so scared of like um, to, to do anything or say anything. You know what I mean? Like, why why would like senators and stuff be scared of like quote unquote like getting canceled and stuff? Because it's not about because that's the rules set by the the rulers. It's not about the people. We don't cancel people. It's stupid. They can set us off and make us. They can get that. And if they don't get what they want, then they'll fake it. Right? They'll put, they'll send the box. 
Everyone, did you see AOC was caught for a bot this week? Yeah. Yeah, she had a she had like an alt like 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 uh, KD like Kevin Durant had where she would respond to people talking shit about her. <laughs> oh, that is. So I don't know if you know that, but that is a common DSA tactic. We have a guy here in Oakland <laughs> who works for our mayor. We busted him. If you follow me on Twitter, you know this. We busted his bot. I saw that. Because he used his email as a password recovery. He never got fired. He's got like fucking 30, 40 bots. That's all these people do is try, fake, fake accounts to, to try to stir up shit in terms of reputation destruction because, because they get to do things that they can't do. It's always a fucking cat, um, some cat or some anime shit. She's going with some weird shit right now, right? There's some weird <laughs> shit going yeah. on. Um, we've gotten into fights on. I wouldn't take your We've gotten into fights on t- Twitter and stuff. I mean, so the people are trying to start them and stuff. I tell people, I've lost every argument or fight because people try to start big stuff like fight, argument, everything. I lose everyone on Twitter, uh, and I always will because you you got to want it. These people that actually go hard on Twitter, I mean, they've got the accounts, they get all the discords going and stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they're maniacs. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta I mean, think about if you if you were a congressperson like uh, Acacio Cortez, and you've got an anime Twitter alt that you use to reply to people posting messages to you. Your your like your press releases. That's a kind of like gritty digging attitude. <laughs> you gotta have that a is, love of the game to do that. There's uh, what is the quote? The 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 best. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get it. We got to say it. You have to say it for the people, though, because we don't have to do the mind now. The 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 best lack all all courage their convictions. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, the I best lack all conviction. Why the words are full of passionate intensity. <laughs> yeah, and it really does. <laughs> what you just described is passionate fucking intensity. Yeah. <laughs> there ain't nobody more passionate than the crazy person. <laughs> I, you got to be crazy back. So what I do is I get crazy back. I'm, I, I, and what happens is courage is c- contagious. If you can do it enough, the mobs will form, and then they will turn the tide. Oakland right now, Oakland, California, is the incubation for a lot of the smoke shit you're seeing. But we're turning the tide back. And now we got fucking Schellenberger's joining up with Leighton Woodhouse. Right? We got people who been you know have a national profile who are finally like, oh, shit, maybe I should pay more attention to Oakland Seneca. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, guys. Let's go. Um, let's put this city on blast. Like the things that they've done in Oakland, the fact that we still have a picture moratorium, you don't have to pay rent in Oakland still. Just, the landlord's paying. That's just going away. Where, where was it bought? Beat that they're, they're getting rid of it. LA is just getting rid of it now. They, people have been for three years just not paying rent, apparently. Yeah, in LA. yeah, yeah. It's, it's unconstitutional. <laughs> it's the Fifth Amendment. The city didn't pay. So, like, what? And people just took that. Here, here's what you have to look at. Here's a here's another way to look at it. In the most populated city, I'm sorry, in the most populated state in the country, in one of the most densely populated areas in the world, in one of the most wealthy places in the world, and in America, let's talk about America, fuck the world. In America, <laughs> most populated, richest, most natural resources or some of the most natural resources, but a lot of them. We just stole like maybe seven, eight billion dollars from people, forced people to pay other people's bills via legislation that's unconstitutional, <laughs> and nobody started an armed revolution. 
I'm sorry. I don't want to say too much, but let's just say it. That wouldn't be me. You live in my motherfucking house and you ain't paying me, we're going to have a problem. Not one person has started a service here yet, like the mafia. We're talking about the mafia, right? <laughs> what would the, the Marcellos would have done in Oakland? They would have, hey, hey, you pay me, I'll get the guy out. I'll look at you. You know? No There's some room for entrepreneurs out. here, is what you're saying? Man, bro. Like, but it's not, it hasn't happened because we're fucking weak. And they know it. They got us right where we want us. Well, you know, and, and we we talk. We this comes up a lot when we, we're discussing, especially like past past history. Not that not that far in the past either. Just in maybe a generation or two. And and my theory on this always is that when you're when you when you got money and like our country does, we we are a rich ass country. Even even though things are worse than they have been, you know, f- f- for thirty years or whatever. We're still a rich ass country. You just you're not going to get people. People aren't going to be motivated to to risk it all. Now individuals might be, but the thing is, if you try to if you try to force somebody out in in San Francisco, and this was true even before Bat Flu, it was hard. Somebody could stay in your house and fucking squat, and renter laws would kill you. I remember people. I remember seeing people complain about this endlessly back in like the 2010s, way before Bat Flu. You couldn't get somebody out. The, the 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 state will have oh, no we've problem always using had that shit. We've always had robust protection laws. Yeah, they'll this throw the your whole... ass in jail for kicking somebody out of your house, but they won't throw them in jail for squatting. That's just one of these, like, these things that the only explanation I can come up with is if there's so much money in managing indigent crazy people, like you know, like the homeless. Like that's what the homeless are. And like I wish we could come together and just admit, like basically, homeless people are either drug addicts or they have mental problems or they or they wouldn't be homeless like and but instead of trying to do things that might fix that problem for for those people and for society you can make more money off of just managing them and you know needle exchanges and all that shit fuck managing it how about growing it yeah that's a good point how about growing it y'all seen that harm reduction people i'm gonna read you a tweet i'm gonna read you a tweet i sent it to bye yeah from Newsweek. Shout out to Bot. Here's what the father's my girl. She's fucking awesome. I know she's listening. She loves the show. She always listens. There was a tweet that said something like, I'm with like some grandmas, two grandmas smoking crack. <laughs> um, in another room, there's people smoking weed around a disco bar. Two 60 year old grandmas smoking crack. Bunch of people in another room smoking weed around a disco bar. I like how they threw the weed in a disco bar like that's the same as crack. And then another one, people are talking about safe injections by talking about tucking and chest binders. And they were like, I thought it was parody at first. And it was actually <laughs> a real comment. Yeah, she was like, this, um, this is a real cozy scene. I got two grandmas uh, smoking crack here. This is great. Like, this, we're living a high awesome. life. Like, that's horrible. 60-year-old grandma smoking crack is like a nightmare scenario. But not for them. They love it. They love it. They're... they're um, the anti-civilization activists, in my opinion, <laughs> they want us. They want to see us destroyed, so that their sick, fucking, twisted ideology can arise from the ashes. This is what they think is going to happen. But they're useful idiots for the techno fascists, if you will, right? Because they're not real. I make an argument that I'm much farther to the left than all the fake lefties and Oakland. And here's why I say that. I fucking hate central banks. You ask me who the number one enemy is, it's the, it's the central banks, it's the fight. That makes me a lefty. 
or maybe a libertarian. That's kind of similar in some ways, right? Um, <laughs> I love woken people, not like like woken, like real woken. Like the, I don't like I like I like unions and shit, like real unions. Like ninety three percent of labor is public sector. What the fuck is that? It's bullshit. Yeah. Right. So there's I'm there. There's a know. there's anyway. a theory about that that it's like the opposite quadrant theory or something that I don't know. Have you ever seen the political quadrant that the top mm-hmm. is authoritarian, bottom libertarian, left on the left, right on the right. You ever seen that one? Yeah. The theory is that the opposites are friends. Like hmm. libertarians okay. and com- which I don't know if it's exactly true, but like libertarians and communists, we've talked to both of them. They're all kind of like they're very interested in finance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I love that. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's kind of it's you know, uh, yeah. Anyways, um, well, Seneca said that he doesn't like central bank. What does that make him? Uh, well, it makes you a racist, Seneca. That's <laughs> if you talk shit about the banks now, they say you're a racist, you're a bigot. There's all these. What? Things. That's well, the new one. There's well, the, just, the great the, quote that. Um, this came up was talking about Dodd Frank being reinstated, and the and someone replied. So this was, they brought up uh, Dodd Frank being reinstated, and I, and a congresswoman said, uh, "But what's that going to do uh, to restore racial justice?" Uh, which is, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, well, hey, Hillary herself said that. You know, when when they attacked they attacked about the banks in 2016 primary, she said. Even if we nationalize the banks, would that end racism? And it's like that's it. That's you know, it. when you say when you say it, when you phrase it that way, it's like yeah. If you if you are against central central banking, not just like fucking Citigroup, like the central banking system itself, they're gonna say they're gonna start tossing that words like you're racist, you're anti-Semitic, you're a bigot, you're a terrorist, whatever. That's what they're gonna. That's I what they're gonna it. say. I, the more, the more. Here's my new rule. The more. Um, Slurs you put in a row, the better. Like you cannot get more racist transfer. Like the more, the better. Um. Oh crap! Hold on one second. You heard it here first, folks. The more slurs you can string in a row, the better. Because it's like it just shows how dumb they are, right? You call someone a uh, a transphobe with, you know, trans business partners. I don't give a fuck what it does do. You're calling someone a racist who's black, who's only lived in, like, I purposely live in black neighborhoods, right? Like, I got money. I can live wherever the fuck I want to live. Like, I don't have to live in the lower bottoms of West Oakland. I'm not forced to live in the hood. I live in the hood instead of Berkeley or the suburbs or the hills because I'm an organizer and I want to impact my people. I want to help people live a better life. So I walk the fucking walk for real. Um, so they can't take that shit from me. So I think that, you know, it's, it exposes it, well, it, them. It exposes them, right? It's like, yeah. you know, everybody who meets you is going to be like, hold on, what's that person talking about? Oh, I get it. They're dishonest. Well, here's the bottom line for them, too. You know, you're talking about you choose to live in Oakland. And it's like, and not, every, not all of them are like this, but there's a lot of them who just basically... They will go anywhere and do anything if it gets them like five percent more political power. They don't have any. They don't have any roots to anything. They don't care wow, about anything. Five is, five is generous. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, for for scraps. Like you know, I, where I live is definitely not the richest place in the world. There are a lot of people who would hate to live here. But you know, I, I, I if, if I went outside and I didn't see cows around me, I would be less happy. I want to live where I live, even if even if it's not the the you know safe. Like I'm sure that Vermont is safer than the, than where I live and uh, higher standard of living going by UN stature, whatever. I don't care. It's my home. It's like 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 you know, Oakland might not literally be your home, but that's your people. You 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 go out in the neighborhood. You know you know what's up. Yeah, you know this home now. I mean you know it's it's cool. I like it here. Yeah, you you might have been born there, but it's your home. These people don't have a home. They have nothing they care about. A lot of them are people who are transplants from, you know, various parts of the country who who, who ran off to Brooklyn and San Francisco or whatever, and they they don't care about anything. They they other than uh, getting just a little bit more like authority and money for themselves. That's all they care about, and that's why they'll say anything, they'll do anything. And my my point that I'm really laboring to get to here is that the thing where, like, where they, they put the string of, like, you're this, you're that, I think what they were doing, and maybe we didn't realize this at the time, they were looking for something that they could that could stick. And I don't mean, like, to ruin our reputations, because you don't if, if, you, if you don't live in their world, they can't do that because you don't care what they think. But what they can do yeah. is they can find something they can use to legally put your ass in jail, and that and like we're gonna see like we're talking about saying Yo. like transphobia or whatever. That's what they're looking for. Something they can do to say, okay, you I'm said this thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I would not make it long in that world. Either I, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm I just can't. You know, I've been a rebel my whole life. I've never followed the fucking rules. <laughs> And there's no way in the world, like, it's just no way. Um, you know, that's what we got the second for. So people need to act accordingly and, and get their fucking head squared away to what's really going on right now. That's why I mentioned that people let things that were unconstitutional go by and not want. I'm not aware of one story where somebody took their property back by force. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm not aware of any story at all. And it definitely didn't happen in Oakland. And I'm... If, in Oakland, you let people people let people rack up hundred plus thousand dollar debt and sit and laugh at them from their house and getting you know get them the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, come on, man, there's no way. There's no way. I just can't see it. So, um, if this is the last time we talk because the country goes crazy, God, God bless you. <laughs> You know, I, I I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny. Look what's yeah, happening. Yeah, really. On the West Trump and shit. Like, it's the fucking, you see the article in Politico? It may be frivolous, but it's okay. Or something yeah. like that. Like, some crazy shit. The ends justify the means, so do whatever you got to do to do this. And like, yeah, if, if they, this is the one one thing that he said that was, that I do believe is true. He, he said, like, it, 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 they were talking about how they were trying to, you know, impeach him for the billionth time or whatever. He goes, look. They're not really after me. They're they're they they they're after you. Like you're the ones they want to get rid of. But I, I I'm a means to the end of that. And, and to some extent, that's you know, well, it's very self-aggrandizing for them to say. But it's also true. Like they fucking hate us. They really despise us and would like to, if not like throw us in jail or whatever. They like to make sure that we can never have any influence over anything ever again. And and, and like. I, you know, I used to I used to laugh at people who said that thinking you're going too far, but 
you know, after you see, you had a, you had a school get shot up, and the next day the president of the United States is like going on TV bragging about the protected class of the person who who oh, no, killed the kid. Oh no, this is the Hunger Games now. Yeah. we're fully we're fully in the collapse. Hello, <laughs> um, isn't it fascinating? I mean, just just sit for a second and and, and be still and feel the fact that you're fucking collapsing as a nation what we're going through right now when people look back if we're you know it's insane um so don't don't succumb to normalcy bias don't laugh it off don't shrug it off be be present with it right go out and get you know involved um because eventually you're going to be involved i i don't i don't think there's any way out of it unless unless you have enough wealth to have enough spots and you got enough intelligence to have to pick the good, the right advisor, because that's another part, right? You got to get good intelligence advisors and people with the right information and yeah. actionable and actionable intelligence, right? Um, yeah, it's just I'm just like trying to like feel and just embrace it all and just know like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, basically, it, it, this. Anybody thinks this doesn't apply to you? It, it do, the only way this doesn't apply to you is if you are, you have enough, you have fuck you money that you can build a fence around yourself and go, you know, go out in the middle of nowhere and be self sufficient and and just and that's that's really hard to do already. But you know, like when we're talking about if if, if we're looking at five to ten percent inflation, if that does if that doesn't go away, they don't get out of control. Nobody, like almost nobody, nobody has fuck you money anymore. Has fuck you money because how big is your property line? Yeah, because because how many tier one, two, two, three, four operators who can make you know seventeen, eighteen hundred yard shots easy in their sleep uh, are, are dejected right now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. Mm. I'm just saying you got to think asymmetrical, right? Like no one's safe. <laughs> Uh, we going to jail now. Well, you gonna be in? I think Merrick, you gonna your old girl's gonna put you in the doghouse. We don't finish up, right? Yeah, I ain't I ain't trying to do you, make trouble do you there. Have, do you have anything? To, what do you got to promote? To promote, you know, um, neighbors together, Oakland, my nonprofit. We're gonna be expanding to neighbors together, America. Hopefully, coming to a city near you, but we're gonna start in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, in Southern Ohio, while we're um, Vance's, Los Angeles, and Oakland in 2024. Uh, there are no more shortcuts in American politics. You need to get to know your neighbors. You need to find yeah. third spaces that are agriculture centered. Right? Food is always the first uh, line of defense to, against tyranny. And then you need something to defend that food. But first, you need to be able to build your own parallel systems with your neighbors that can provide as much resilience and preparedness against the uncertainty that is looming. Um, that's the only thing you have effect over. So the more you can get involved with that and producing your own food and growing your own food and getting community livestock, you can do it anywhere in the United States of America. So that's what I got to promote. I that's exciting. Yeah. That kind of organization can be a powerful thing. I mean, it reminds me, Huey Long had to share our wealth program um, that was in Louisiana. He took it nationwide. He had like 20 million members or whatever when he died. But yeah, 
my neighbors are they're uh, incubating chickens. They're moving up on about a, they're gonna they're gonna hit a hundred before. Oh, before, nice! Yeah, we got like yeah. seven. We just got fifty new ones. Hell yeah! You gotta keep gotta keep on your toes. Why you can still order chickens in the mail and they come in two days? Like what the fuck? Order them shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Cedric, I've had a great time. It's been awesome. Always. Thank you for the platform. Y'all be well out there. And until next time. Have a good night. Making their way to